Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Exact Nature's all-natural CBD-based products are specially formulated to help you lighten the load in recovery, be it with addictive cravings, depression and anxiety, or improving sleep. Founded and run by a father-son team, both in recovery, this issue is personal for them. Learn more at exactnature.com, and as a listener of the Sobriety Diaries, use the code TSD20 to receive a 20% discount at purchase. Again, TSD20 at exactnature.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the... Must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. How are you? I am fantastic. How are you? Amazing. Good, good, good. Thank you for making time tonight. This is kind of exciting. Um, what part of the world are you in? I am here in the States in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, okay. How about you? Cool. I am in Kansas City. Not I kind of, terribly far. Not terribly far. Yeah. I used to be kind of back and forth. LA is my second home. Got it. But when uh, coronavirus happened, I quarantined here because my whole family is here. So it made sense to be stuck here. Got but... it. <laughs> <laughs> I see. It has been an interesting journey. And here we are three years later, right? In the blink of an eye. I read this article recently. And usually when I say I read an article, it means TikTok or Instagram, but this actually was <laughs> yes. an article that I read about this sort of mass exodus from Los Angeles and how over the last, like, three, yeah. even before COVID really, but especially yeah. since, there has been this exodus from yeah. LA County specifically, but it's just interesting to see what we prioritize and hold special, you know, since, since yeah. COVID. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting to me that it took three years for COVID to bother me. Yeah. <laughs> Cause like, I'm such an introvert anyway. Yeah, so I'm like, same. Oh, quarantine. I mean, that's kind of my regular life, you know, like <laughs> right. I wasn't really all that bothered by that. I was like, that's what I've been doing forever anyway. But yeah. But now it's like having been here, you know, in the lack of travel. I mean, you know, we did some road trips here and there, but nothing major. And for somebody who, you know, has virtually lived out of a suitcase for a decade, you know, <laughs> yeah. like it's just yeah. like it's just now finally I'm like, what the heck am I doing? Like I've never <laughs> I've never spent this much time in this city. I've never been landlocked like this. Like I need an right. ocean. I need to get out in the world. But yeah, it has. It's taken three years for me to get annoyed. In the beginning, the sort of 
quarantine or isolation was like, oh, this just an excuse now to cancel yeah. plans. So I had to start like checking myself and making mm-hmm. sure that I wasn't, you know, going back to my old ways of, mm-hmm. of isolation and uh, sort of being just in my own little cocoon. So yeah, I definitely love being in my bubble. Yes. And I, I just recently had to put my dog down. And oh. that has been so so freaking challenging because he made it so much better to be in the bubble. You know what I mean? And it's like, now I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know what to do with myself, but the bubble's definitely not the same without him. (laughs) I can't imagine. Yeah. He's, he's a grumpy old man now, but he has literally kept me sane. Yeah. So yeah. I'm so sorry to hear that. 14 and a half years. And mm. I mean, we had an incredible life. He traveled all over the world with me and it was amazing. I mean, it's been devastating, but it's not like you don't know it's going to happen. Right. You know, like that's what I keep saying yeah. in my head. I'm like, Angela, what did you think? Did you really? Because I would always talk to him about living forever. Yeah. But I'm like, did that's you, what I say. I'm like, that was going to happen. Promise. Yes. Me. But yeah, yeah. I, I can't. Oh, how long so has it been? Hard. Um, just a few weeks. Like this is literally the first time I've said the words without crying. Oh, <laughs> like I'm getting so much better. Yeah. You know, each day it gets a little bit better, but you know, it's just weird because you, well, you know, I mean, everything you do revolves around them. Like everything, I mean, every light I turn on and yes. when and where things are said and what yes. time we do things and my schedule, like everything every revolves decision, around them. Every trip. Everything. Every, yes. Yeah. 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 And I just, I feel really kind of lost, you know, so I'm just yeah. like, I don't know what to do with myself. Like I used to have this kind of deciding factor and yes. now I'm just, oh. now I'm just me. Yeah. You know? it's, yeah. it's very weird. Very weird. Sometimes I produce my episodes as sort of a behind the scenes look, and I feel like we've already talked about so many good things. I feel like I should perhaps formally open the episode and then we can kind of just go from there. Okay, sounds good. You got Listen, there's yeah. no so nobody is surprised I get paid to talk for a living. Okay. I'm a lucky you. sober day friends welcome to the sobriety diaries my name is nate i am a grateful recovering alcoholic seven years from my last drink the sobriety diaries is a video podcast where we share powerful stories of recovery told by those who lived them check us out at the sobrietydiaries.com for all things podcast related and for all our video interviews head over to youtube.com slash nate kelly also, please share this podcast with just one person in your life who may still be struggling. You just never know what they may need to hear today. Recovery is possible. <laughs> well, I'm here with my new friend, Angela Pugh. Uh, she is the host of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. She is a master coach. She is an interventionist. I definitely want to get into that because that fascinates me. Um, But if you don't mind, I would love to start with a bit of your personal journey and how we have made it to this point where now you are able to offer yourself uh, in in a way that can help others and sort of this service aspect as we've talked a little bit about. 
Sure. Thank you so much for having me on, by the way. I kind of forgot in all of our talking, I kind of forgot that we were already recording because we've just been chit-chatting about anything (laughs) and everything, which is fabulous. But thank you so much for having me. It's great to meet you and get to learn more about you as well. So I will give a little bit of my drinking story. I don't delve too much into that a lot because we all kind of understand that pain and what it's like to live trapped in that alcoholism and how bad it is. I will say that I refer to myself sometimes as an accidental alcoholic. Mm. You know, I didn't start drinking really young. I didn't start drinking to mask pain or any of those things. You know, I was a really comfortable, confident, well-adjusted kid in high school. I had really healthy friendships and relationships. I had great boundaries. I never drank. You know, a lot of my friends drank. Like I'd go to the parties and things like that, but I just wasn't interested in drinking. It just didn't interest me. So it really hit for me when I started working in a bar. Mm. So at that point, it became very normal, you know, and on the professional side of recovery, we talk a lot about your environment and how those environmental factors really influence your drinking experience. And that was huge for me because all of a sudden I was in this environment where everybody drank every day. It was so normal to drink every day. And so I started drinking pretty regular, you know, probably every day. Now I wasn't drinking a ton, right? Because I didn't have any tolerance. It didn't take much for me. (laughs) Right. And, and also like when I was young and this is part of my progression too, like I can look back to when I started drinking where like we really went out to do fun things and maybe had some drinks, you know, like we would go out dancing and maybe we would have a couple of drinks to, you know, fast forward some years, it was going out to drink, not do fun things. The focus was drinking. Maybe fun things happen. Yeah. Maybe fun things happen. Yeah. (laughs) Fast forward a few years from there. And it was, I wouldn't do anything that didn't involve drinking, you know? So it's fascinating to be able to look back and kind of connect all of those dots. But, you know, by the end, I was incredibly sad Um, I really hated myself. I hated who I was. I was a liar. You know, I lied to everybody. I lied to all my friends. I lied to my jobs. I was a bartender uh, most of my adult life. And I didn't, uh, most of my adult life, I didn't even go to work until 10 or 11 p.m. But at the very end of my drinking, I worked somewhere. I had to be there at five. And I was having a problem getting to work at 5 p.m. Wow. Wow. Right. Because now remember my schedule was flipped, right? So I would go in at five, usually start drinking at eight while still working. So just drinking a little bit, you know, to get the buzz going. And then when the bar would close, that's when my drinking would really start. Mm. So then I was staying up all night drinking, you know, and staying up all night drinking maybe started as staying up till four or 5 a.m. And then it was six and 7 a.m. Still (laughs) drinking. The sun is up. And I really just drank myself into this horrible, lonely, sad, and desperate existence Mm. where I just did not like anything about myself or my life. 
you know, I always thought that one night I would go to sleep and I would just never wake up again. And every day that I woke up, it's like I was mad. You know, every day when I would open my eyes and realize I was still alive, my first thought would be, oh my God, I have to do this again. Wow. So sad. I remember that that really hits home for me because I remember moving to, I had moved to Maryland for a work opportunity. So I was in this place that I didn't know anybody and didn't really make any friends because I would just stay at home and drink by myself. So the isolation really kicked in. And I remember cleaning up my apartment each night and sort of straightening things up, making my apartment look neat in the event that I wouldn't wake up. And I remember doing that every night and having the same feeling when I woke up each morning. Isn't it Uh, crazy to to think about, yeah, isn't it crazy to think about living like that? I think about it now and I'm like, I don't even know how I did it as long as I did. I just was so miserable. I was so so miserable. miserable. And you know, this is something I like to talk about a lot too, because you hear all these terms kind of thrown out, you know, oh, but I'm high functioning Mm. and you hear high bottom and rock bottom and low bottom. And, and I feel like there's so much misconception around what those things mean, because for all intents and purposes, I was very high functioning also. You know, I lived in a beautiful place. I made a lot of money. You know, I had the $70,000 Lexus in the garage. I was high functioning too, but I was not high functioning on the inside. Right. What does that mean? (laughs) Yeah. And really, and that's what rock bottom is. People think about rock bottom and they think of this moment, but I'm like, it's not a moment. Rock bottom is where you are internally. Mm. Rock bottom is that isolation and the desperation and and that hating yourself. Like that's rock bottom. I don't care how high functioning you are. Absolutely. Yeah. Rock bottom is an internal place. It's a psychological, emotional place. It's not the DUI or the losing your house or your spouse or the whatever, you know, it's rock bottom is internal. Right. Right. For me, desperation is the perfect word to describe it. And it is just that state of being. Yeah. It's so hard to imagine living like that as long as I did. Like I can't even fathom it now. Yeah. How long did you spend in the service industry? 20 years. So I continued bartending even into my sobriety. And so I had my, you know, quintessential rock bottom moment. I actually had several. (laughs) (laughs) One of them finally stuck, but you know, I would have a moment that I thought should be rock bottom. And then who knew rock bottom had a basement, you know, and we just sink lower. But um, I did have my my really major rock bottom moment one night leaving a bar after drinking all night with all my friends. And on my drive home, um, I hit another car at 70 miles an hour on mm. the freeway. And there was a moment that I thought I had killed that person that I that I had hit. And I don't remember a ton of details. Obviously, I was not in my right mind. But one of the moments that was so powerful for me was... I was standing there on the side of the freeway and I was looking at all the wreckage and the flashing lights and just all the chaos, right? And then there was me who, you know, I was in my skirt and heels because uh, because I always thought I was so cool. <laughs> and 
the thing was i i didn't do anything different that night right i went with the i went out with the same people we went to the same places i was driving the same route there was nothing different and all of a sudden i'm standing there staring at all this chaos and thinking in my head like oh my gosh i have to call my mom and tell her i killed somebody like how do you have that conversation Ooh, you know yeah. The second thing was, I found out that that guy I hit was not hurt, thankfully. Thank he God. was okay. I was actually the only one hurt. Um, but the second really powerful moment was thinking in my head, I couldn't believe I was walking away from this accident, right? <laughs> and I thought, there must be something else I'm meant to do because I am trying my hardest to die. <laughs> And I keep not dying. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. One of the biggest hurdles in starting a podcast can be the overwhelming thought of all of the technology. Let me tell you, don't let it stop you, especially in the beautiful online recovery space. We could really save lives. So if you have a message that you want to share and a story that you want to tell, the Podcast Host Academy can help you get there. Inside the Podcast Host Academy, you'll find courses on everything from equipment, software and editing, to presentation skills and vocal warm-ups. Click the link in today's show notes for an additional 15% off your subscription to the Podcast Host Academy and Alitu.com. That is Alitu, A-L-I-T-U dot com. Probably like the second, maybe third situation that I probably shouldn't have walked away from. And, and that was the thing that struck me. Like there must be, I must have a different purpose. And I had never considered that I could hurt somebody else in my drinking. And I know that sounds so ridiculous. Like obviously everybody knows drinking and driving is dangerous, Yeah, but I did it for 15 years, you know, like, and I never hit anything. Right. So that thought to me wasn't dangerous. I never thought of driving as dangerous or whatever. I was just drunk, but, Same. Um, <laughs> but and that I think was it's... really terrifying to me, you know, because it's like, I didn't care if I hurt myself. Right. Obviously at the state I was, I, I would have loved to have died. Mm -hmm. I didn't care if I hurt myself, but the thought that I could hurt somebody else and then all the what ifs, what if he had a kid in his backseat? Mm. What if I was on a side road and he was on the sidewalk, not even in a car, all of those things mashed together, created <laughs> my rock bottom moment. And all of that was literally probably 30 seconds. You right. know, all those thoughts was yeah. probably 30 seconds of like, oh my gosh, like this is not an option in my life anymore, period. It's kind of just struck me when you said you hadn't considered the possibility of of hurting other people physically. Had you considered the fact that you were hurting other people in your life, maybe not physically, but emotionally? Oh, it took me 
a couple of years into recovery to realize that. <laughs> Same. I had no concept that well, that was I also even a possibility. I also didn't live close to any of my people, right? Like I left where I was born and raised and I moved to Los Angeles and I was in Los Angeles for a decade, right? So I really, like my family didn't know much about anything. Now, at the same time, when I moved back to my hometown, that's when my drinking really went crazy out of control. And I just shielded them from everything. I mean, they didn't know anything. They didn't know ever when I had been arrested. They didn't know ever when I had ended up in the hospital for some random thing. They just didn't know anything. And I think it was years into my sobriety and my mom going with me for speaking engagements because she's all, we're kind of a package deal. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like she always, especially speaking engagements, like she would always go to oh, those things with me. Yeah. And I think it was... I think it was four, probably four, maybe five years into my recovery before she actually heard all the details mm -hmm. and really knew all the things because I really just hid it from them. Got I hid it. my whole life from yeah. them. So we wake up the next morning after the accident. So what did, what did you put into place then? Is that, was that the last drink? So that was not the last drink. <laughs> So, As we do. Yeah, right. Three days later. Um, so me and some of my friends had bought concert tickets like months before all of this happened. And I locked myself in my apartment. Now, my face was all busted up from my accident. Like I face planted the steering wheel of my car. So my nose was broken. But my nose wasn't broken in the way where you get two black eyes. My nose was broken at the bottom. So the entire lower half of my face was swollen. <laughs> and then I had two <laughs> cracks in my head, like up at my hairline. Yeah. Um, so I, I was pretty busted up, you know, and I was just, I just laid low um, for three days. And then it was time for this concert. And all my friends were like, Angela, you have to get out of the house. Like you can't just stay in there forever. Let's just go to the show. We've had these tickets for months. It'll be fine. And I'll tell you a pivotal mistake and learning lesson. I assumed that everybody would understand I wasn't drinking because I just had this major catastrophe. Yes, right. right. So it was like, they have to understand I'm not drinking. So I go, I thought, okay, they were like, we don't care what you look like. It's just, you have to get out of the house. So I go, the concert was about an hour away from my house. I didn't drive, right? And I had a second car, I could, but I was really freaked out after my accident. Yeah, I was really scared to drive. So they picked me up. So I was trapped. I didn't have anybody oh. that was willing to drive that distance and pick me up, right? I had already burned all those bridges. Um, and I didn't have, you know, $100 for a cab ride home. Yeah. So we're standing in line and my buddy's like, okay, I'm going to get drinks. And I had the strength one time to say, I'm not drinking. And I looked at him like he was crazy. I was like, yeah. I'm not drinking. <laughs> and he looked at me and said, Angela, I know you'll drink if I get you something to drink. So you may as well just order what you want. Ugh. And in that 
split second, I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Am I going to go through this night and be miserable because I'm sober and everybody's drunk? Are they going to be mad at me? I have no escape. I have no way out. So I just made the executive decision. I was like, fine, I will drink and get through this night and this is it. And I will never be in this position again. Mm. I will never not have my car. I will never assume that my friends understand (laughs) I'm not drinking. Like I will always protect myself. So it was a major, major moment in a lot of ways. And I woke up the next morning and the first thought that went through my head is I was like, thank God that's over. Mm. Thinking about my drinking life because I knew it was done. I didn't even want to drink that night. You know, it was like survival. Survival. Yeah, It was, it was just survival. Like I just had to get through that night. And of course I drank like a crazy person and everybody had fun. Um, But I was so grateful to be back in the safety of my home and to know that my drinking life was coming to an end. Hmm. Isn't there that sense of relief where it's just like everything that has been catching up to us for years or decades in some cases, just that sense of relief is indescribable. Absolutely. So I laid low. I continued to detox, right? I had a pretty... I wouldn't say terrible detox. Like I basically felt like I had the flu. I mean, I definitely didn't feel great, but it wasn't horrible. I did not know back then that that was dangerous to detox at home by yourself. I had no idea. So um, I detoxed. I think it was about a week and I went to my first AA meeting. And I knew that's what I needed to do. I mean, this was a long time ago too. We didn't have other options back then either. (laughs) Like now there are all these other things and all these other programs. But back then we didn't have that stuff. Like AA was kind of the only house on the block, you know? So that's where I went. I found a spot that was close to my house that had a lot of meetings every day. And, um, And I settled in and I don't think I skipped a meeting for five years. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I was Can I in. ask your, your sobriety date? Yeah, January 7th, 2006. Nice. I think around nine or 10 months sober, I met a group of people who ended up being my tribe. That was my crew. And it was incredible. I mean, there were like seven or eight of us that were really tight. And we did everything together. We did service work together. We went to meetings together. We had barbecues at each other's houses. We started a private big book study with our sponsors at one Mm. of our houses. Um, We had weekly TV shows that we watched together. Like We just really created this incredible circle of trust and love and acceptance and fun. And I never even thought about isolating, you know? That is a great point. Without the community and the people that I surrounded myself with in those sort of formative years of early recovery, Mm -hmm. you know, we talk about different paths to recovery and, you know, 12 step is is part of my story and part of yours, but you know, it may not be to a lot of listeners and we all find our own, uh, you know, path and, and road to, to where we need to get. But I think a common theme that I hear in in hundreds of stories that I've heard is the sense of community and being with those sort of like-minded people, people who understand uh, and can support us. There is nothing like connecting with another person with addiction. Like we connect on a different level 
with each other than we connect with the rest of the world. And because we're living with this thing that you can only really understand if you have it. Yes. So it's like as soon as somebody tells me they're sober, the love and compassion I have for that person is so different than a random stranger that I meet somewhere. You yes. know, it just is different. And and I just wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean, there's there's so much magic in those relationships. And you know, I say to everybody, like, yeah, like you said, 12 steps is a part of my story. It's a part of your story. I love 12 steps. Yeah. But I don't care if somebody else doesn't love it. Right. You know, like you have so many options now. My thing is, I just want you to do something rather than do nothing. Mm. Find something that fits for you and be willing to challenge yourself a little bit because it's not going to be comfortable. We're all terrified when we walk into our first meeting, whether it's 12 steps or not, you <laughs> right. know, yeah. that's a terrifying moment for all of us. We all have social anxieties. That's the other thing I hear. Oh, but I have terrible social anxiety. I'm like, what the hell do you <laughs> think the rest all? of us are going through? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like we all know that feeling. So be willing to challenge yourself a little bit and just know going in, it's going to be uncomfortable right. and you're okay. Nobody has ever died from being uncomfortable. <laughs> we can survive all of those things, you know, but find something. You have to find something and you have to find people to connect with. That's a great segue because there is this sort of new generation of folks who are finding recovery through this beautiful online recovery community. And you and I are, are lucky enough to be a part of it. And we had mentioned earlier that you know, the idea or or sort of uh, we got the ball rolling on our podcast as sort of service work uh, mm -hmm. based on our 12-step work. So let's talk a, a little bit about the the early years of your podcast and, and sort of the idea behind it. Oh, it's such a crazy journey. But yeah, like I was saying in the beginning, you know, I started my podcast just to share information. That was really my thing. Um, I also own men's sober living houses. And and like we touched on also, I do interventions, right? Yeah. So my phone and my inbox are blowing up nonstop. <laughs> you know, there's no shortage of people that need help and families that need help with their adult children or young children or spouses, you know. And I thought, I'm going to start sharing information and sharing stories in a podcast format so that when people reach out to me, because I get the same questions all the time over and over, it's kind of the same stuff. Yeah. I was like, I want to be able to say, oh, you know what? I did a whole podcast on that. Go listen to this. Episode and I 20. Could Five. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I could like steer people to get more information, you know, and that's really how it started. And I was kind of recruiting my friends and having them come on and just talk about recovery with me. Um, in the beginning, also before coronavirus, um, I recorded all of my episodes in person because I traveled so much anyway. So whenever I was going to a city, I would like go on Instagram and I would find other recovery people and other recovery influencers in that city. And I'd be like, oh, hey, I'm going to be in town for two days. Do you want to record a podcast with me? Yes. And it was a blast. I love I mean, that. 
it was really unpredictable also, you know, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I was recording in um, Los Angeles and I had, I don't know, I think I had like six people I was recording that day. And one of my good friends owns a treatment center out there and he gave me um, his outpatient office to record in. Mm -hmm. So we're sitting there and literally the window to the street, to Vine Street, right? World famous street. Yes. Vine is right outside the window and the sidewalk's right there. And it's no secret that LA has its share of homeless people. Yes. So I'm sitting here and I'm recording where I think it was Wes Gear who played in the band Corn, yeah. right? And we're having this great conversation and we're cracking up. And all of a sudden, this dude lays down outside the window with his little transistor radio and starts singing Black Magic Woman. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like in my episode, like there's no way to cut it out. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I cut, I always had like these weird little things pop up. Or one time we were recording in the hotel and their hotel music like came across oh, in my yes. podcast. You can hear it through the whole thing. But, <laughs> but it was so much fun and this incredible energy getting to meet everybody in person. And it was really fantastic. And I think I'm going to start doing more of that again, too, because Sounds it, was, really fun. it was really phenomenal. But then all of a sudden, you know, I had one month, you know, in podcast world, you never really know if you're doing well. Yeah. It's like, what is good? Like how many downloads is good? So you don't really know. It's like, is it good or does it suck? Like, I don't know. But what I knew was my downloads were getting bigger every month. Mm. It was growing every month. And I had somebody tell me, a more experienced podcaster said to me once, he's like, wow, that's really good. He said, what that usually means is people are coming back and they're sharing episodes. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I think I was about eight months in and I had a huge jump in downloads one mm. month. Yeah. And that was the thing that really kind of kicked me into gear where I was like, oh, like this could be something. And it took me a long time to get there. You know, I just kept plugging away and doing episodes and I did all my own post-production and still do a lot of the time. Yeah. But I didn't have a plan around it. Right. I just when people kept showing up and then I started getting reviews and all this stuff, it fueled me to do more and do better. But for me, like I was already coaching. I was already a life coach and working with families and working with people with addiction. Like that had already been my profession for a long time. So all of a sudden they come out with the term recovery coach. And I was right. like, oh yeah, sure. I've already been a life coach for I've 10 years. that what I've been years. doing for a decade? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like let's do it, you yeah. know? Perfect fit. Yeah. But, you know, also like a good alcoholic, I don't necessarily like to follow other people's rules. So after working with so many people for so many years, I really put together a curriculum that that I know works, you know, from my own recovery and from working with so many people, I just put together kind of my own thing that I know is successful and works and is supportive. And the, but the number one thing in that is still connection. Right. You have to have your tribe. And again, Absolutely. I don't care if it's 12 steps or not, but you have to have a tribe, you know? Usually when people don't want to do any program, it's because they don't want that accountability because they know that's leveling up. Like right. when you walk in and commit to that, that's leveling up. And like, then you, then you're responsible for your recovery. Mm, so true. Angela, tell us where we can find you online. If people are moved today by your story or want to work with you in the future. 
Absolutely. Always easiest to find me on anything at Addiction Unlimited. We have a a beautiful, vibrant Facebook group that's full of love and support always. Um, The podcast, like you said, is Addiction Unlimited, and you can kind of find all the information that you will ever want. (laughs) Angela, I so appreciate your time tonight. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening today, friends. Hopefully you heard something that resonates with you. And if we help just one person, our job is done. Make sure you check today's show notes for all the information discussed in the episode and how to connect with our guest. And as always, check us out at thesobrietydiaries.com, youtube.com slash Nate Kelly, and on Instagram at thesobrietydiariespod please head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. Friends, it truly helps other people to find the show. And in turn, we can help more people. Until next Wednesday, try your best not to drink and be good to yourselves. Bye, everyone.